Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Faith is not a leap of faith. Faith can be thought through very, very carefully and and it can, you can give your mental assent to faith or agreement to faith. So Christian faith, another thing that spreads around is Christian faith is not positive thinking. Just because you believe something, it won't happen. There's a whole range of churches involved as well where if you visualize something, it will happen, right? If you think about something, it will eventuate. That is not faith. That is just positive thinking. And the father of that Christian positive thinking is a fellow called Norman Vincent Peale. And if you're familiar with Norman Vincent Peale's writings, a lot of the current people, go, it all goes back to this positive thinking school of theology, is based on Norman Vincent Peale's thinking. And Norman Vincent Peale got it horribly wrong and influenced a whole generation of people about, you know, if you believe it, you will get it. Some call it Plab it and you'll receive it, you know? And so you've got to be careful what you actually believe. You just cannot believe in positive thinking, you know? You can't walk out of this room and say, I, I believe in the Mercedes Benz and it'll eventuate. You'll be believing for a long, long time and nothing will happen, right? So it's not positive thinking, faith. So these are just three small examples of what faith isn't. So where does faith start? Faith starts with God. Without faith, it says in the reading today, it is impossible in Hebrews 11, 1 to 6. It says, Hebrews 11, 1 to 6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the foundation of our faith is God. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the representation of God the Father. Right? So we see Jesus Christ through the Bible. We see Jesus Christ through the scriptures. So the object of our faith is not faith itself. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. So you really have to understand that's a very important point. So don't go around believing in faith just for the sake of faith. What do you believe in? Who do you believe in? Where is your faith based on? These are really important types of things that we need to deal with. So today I'm going to look at Daniel 3. Verses 8 to 30. It's a long reading, but I think it's important. Again, it's not an expository preaching. I'm using it as a launching point to talk about faith, but I do need to read it. So let's read it together. Daniel 8. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the bagpipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipes, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought, be brought 
So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we shall not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nezabkaneba was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed these men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the foot is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the starabs, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their clothes were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside. The king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue it this way. Then the king promised Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Blessed be God's word. As I read through that, and some of you who are paying close attention, most of you, would come to verse 25 and say, he answered, but see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the foot is like a son of the gods. That particular verse has troubled Christian theologians over many, many years. But the the tradition or interpretation of that verse, the fourth verse, is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Now, a bit of homework for you all. Go and try and find out what it really is. But I cannot conclusively answer who that fourth person is. But I would like to think 
that when Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, here he is in this midst as well. So just go home and do some, and come back and we can have a, a friendly discussion about it one day. Some of you may come back, some of you may not come back, that's okay. But that verse really fascinated me. Three went in, four were seen in there, you know, by the king. What a miraculous um, thing to see. But I took it for myself as, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus will be with us through all our trials and tribulations. And this is the way I like to think of it. Okay, so that's, that's my little interpretation. That's a sideline. But the other humorous thing is when I read this, I always think about my Sunday school teacher. When she used to tell me many, many years ago that it was we were little kids and it was your shack, my shack and a bungalow. <laughs> so that we could remember it. So as I was reading through it, I thought, I'm going to slip up and say, your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. But it's not your shack, my shack, and a bungalow, right? So let's get that clear as well. Okay, so get the right pronunciation. So faith is a two-sided coin. In verse 17, we see one side of the coin, one side of faith. If the God whom we serve, this is Daniel 17, If the God whom we serve is able to save us from the blazing furnace and from your power, then he will. If the God whom we serve is able to serve us from the blazing furnace and from your power, then he will. This is a very important statement as we will come to it. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had confidence and were absolutely determined. They knew God was able and willing to deliver them. They knew that God was able and willing to deliver them. After all, this is the God of the universe that we are talking about. Their vision of God was really very large. It wasn't a small God. It was a huge God. They had a great vision of who God was. So often when Christians pray, they waver between opposing beliefs. They say things like, well, I know that God can heal me, but I'm not sure that he really wants to. God is able to put my marriage back, but I'm really not sure that he wants to. Okay, I know God can reach my kids, but I'm not sure that he wants to. So there is this doubting. There was no doubt in the minds of the three Hebrew men. The Hebrew men had no such doubts. They said, God is able and will deliver us. This is the kind of confidence we ought to have when it comes to our God. This side of the coin of faith says God can and will deliver me. When we go to God in prayer for a financial need, a healing need, a relational need, we ought to pray and ask without doubting God. In James it said, when we doubt God, we are a double-minded man. You know, we have to believe on what we believe. That is not to say, and I'll come to that, that is not to say all our prayers are answered. But the starting point is God's ability, God's capability to solve every problem in the universe. Otherwise, he's not God. You know, there will be, he's not sitting in heaven saying, Jim's got this terrible problem. I wonder what I'll do for him. No, his ways are good all the time. It may not be, the outcome may not be what I want, but the outcome is what he has predestined for me. He knows the very hairs on my head, and it's getting lesser these days. But he knows exactly, and all the men said amen, who are in the same position, but he knows exactly all the issues of my life, even before I step into those issues. It's even, it's John Piper, the great theologian, called it future grace. You know, grace is available for us even when we, before we get there. So we need to understand that God is in control. In Philippians 4.19, Philippians 4.19 It says, my God will supply every need 
to every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But we often read, my God will supply every need, full stop. But we forget that the, the, the real, the real uh, clincher there is according. My God will supply every need according to his riches in glory. So there is a condition there, according to his riches. This side of faith rests on the character of God. We know who he is. We know what his word says. We know that he wants to heal, he wants to deliver, and he wants to save us. The challenge with this type of faith is we often add a little whisper to it, a thought we may never say aloud. God can answer my prayers. As long as he does, I will continue to follow him. So we put conditions on God. Though we may never say this, it shows up in the way we act as well. When we, when we thought, what we thought was strength and confidence was actually a conditional fight. So often our faith is conditional. Whether consciously or not, we tell God that we will follow him, but only if certain conditions are met. God, only if my prayers are answered. God, only if I feel good. God, only, only if I do not face too many challenges in life. We could call this conditional faith or only if faith. Only if faith or conditional faith. The theological term is conditional faith. Jesus encountered many people with this attitude. In Luke 9.61, in Luke 9.61, Jesus said, one man, sorry, one man said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. This man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. In Matthew 8.21, one of his disciples said, said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. One man said, I must go back and say goodbye to my family. Another man said, I must go and bury my father. Now, both of these requests seem extremely reasonable, and I grappled with these statements as well. In the first example, Jesus says, no one who puts, this is Luke 9.62 now, Luke 9.62, Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You're all in or you're all out. You cannot be half in, half out in Christianity. That's a commitment you make. That's a commitment you made when you got baptized and went through the waters of baptism. First you got saved, and then you went through the waters of baptism. But you made a commitment. And that commitment was, you put your hand to the plow, and once you put your hand to the farming analogy, but once you put your hand to the plow, you can't stop plowing. You've got to finish the field. And that's what we are on, on about. We've got to finish the task ahead of us. We cannot look back. The second example, he, Jesus said, yeah, follow me and let the dead bury their own. Matthew 8.22. He said, he said, follow me and let the, bed dairy, let the dead bury their own. Now, we look at that and I thought, gee, that's very cool-hearted statements there. You've got you to have this dialogue with yourself and with God sometimes. It's really not a cold-hearted statement when you think about it. We can't be... We can't deny our feelings when we read God's word. Some of the words of God are very, very difficult to understand. The theologians call it the hard sayings of Jesus Christ, or the hard sayings of God. Jesus wasn't being cold-hearted. What he was saying is, if you are wrestling with good reasons and having second thoughts, you're not ready yet to come. It's like the rich man who came to Jesus, and eventually he walked away because he could not give up what was his idol, which was his richness. So you've got to be careful. He was saying, 
If you are wrestling with good reasons and having second thoughts, you are not ready to come. That's what Jesus was really saying. You clearly don't understand who is inviting you to follow. Who is inviting you to follow? The God of the universe, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Christ, the Son of God is asking us to follow him. You know, we will follow a lot of people. I read a story recently about an old man in the First World War. And his grandson said, why did you jump out of the trenches and face the German artillery in France? And the old man said, we followed our captain. He had so much faith and trust in the man who was leading them in warfare. He said, we were nervous inside, we were breaking up inside, but he said, our captain got out of the trenches and we followed him. Now Jesus Christ is more than a captain in the First World War. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior who died on Calvary's cross for my sin and your sin. Isn't he worthy to be followed? That's the question that I pose to myself this morning. What if we started with a different foundation of our faith? What if we truly believe that God is the rightful owner of the universe? He is the rightful owner of our lives. Psalm 118, 29 encourages us to give to the Lord, for he is give thanks to the Lord for his good and his love endures forever. Psalm 118, 29. It encourages us to give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. He's not good today, he's not good tomorrow, he's good all the time, and his love endures forever. At a church that I was once was, every time the pastor preached, God is good, he would get up, this old fellow, and he would say, all the time, in a loud voice. He would say, God is good, the pastor would say, God is good, and he would say, all the time. And it encouraged me a lot, because this man knew his God, you know, and he's passed away now, but that's true. We, our response to God is he is good, not today, not yesterday, but he's good all the time. There is no shadow of doubt in God. He's consistent. I'm inconsistent. You're inconsistent. Don't put your faith in man, because man will crumble. The best of men crumble. You know. But that's not to say we don't follow people. We do follow people who are following God. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So because he was the leader, and you have to follow the leader that's following Christ. But Paul never said, follow me. He said, follow me as I'm following Christ. So there is a condition that he placed on his followers as well. So what, what this kind of foundation in place, with this kind of foundation in place, we could pray with confidence, knowing that he is good. God wants to deliver, wants to heal, and wants to answer our prayers. Again, according to his will and purposes for our lives. Conditional, according to his will and purpose for our lives. God is not our cosmic bellboy. We press a button and he appears. He's not like the lifted Myers in the old days, that is, where the bellboy would come and take you up to the seventh floor, eighth floor, menswear, whatever, and, and he'd appear. No, God isn't our cosmic bellboy. He, you can't press a button and God will appear. Because God's will is his predestined will for all of us, for the universe. He knows what is happening. So God, according to his will and purpose for our life, God answers. We would be able to stand up to whatever challenges we face in life if our confidence is based on the knowledge and the character of God. I'm coming to the point of the three foundational pillars of God's faith in God. There are three foundational pillars. And the first foundation pillar, I'll give it away now, is knowledge of the character of God. Our faith has to be built on the knowledge and the character of God. This leads me to the other side of the coin. 
The first side of the coin is God is able and willing to deliver us. The second side of the coin is unconditional or even if side of faith. The first one was conditional, now it's unconditional. The three Hebrew boys from Daniel chapter 3 made a key statement during their trial. They said, our God will deliver us from the king's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your God and worship the image of God you have set up. What a conviction these young men had. Even if God does not deliver us, we will not bow down to your God. That is a conviction. That is a strong conviction in what they actually believed. That conviction never started when they were put in the fire. That conviction started many, many years and months before. But they knew their God. And knowing their God, they could have such faith that even if they walked through the fires of adversity, they would still believe that even if God didn't save them, they had this unconvincing faith in their God in Daniel 3.18. What's amazing about these men is that they walk through the fire with even if faith or unconditional faith. Even if they ended up in the fiery furnace and even if they did not understand, they would not bow down to idols. What's happening here? Their faith allowed for the mystery of God. It's very important to understand the mystery of God. This is an important point. They were confident no matter what God chose to do, their faith in him would not waver. We don't understand everything about God. You know, we are not given the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. We are not the Alpha and the Omega. We do not understand. The word of God says you will see dimly now, but one day you will see clearly. This is what Dr. Lawrence Crabb, a Bible teacher, author and speaker says. Instead of sitting quietly before mystery, we try to bring into the we try to bring mystery into the areas of manageability. Instead of sitting quietly before mystery, we try to bring it into areas of manageability. We are trying to manage mystery. In other words, he says, "What fools we are! When we do this, the phenomenon we are talking about gets a little damaged in the process. The affairs of the soul cannot always be managed." They are best handled by sitting quietly before God in prayer. The affairs of the soul cannot always be managed. They are best handled by sitting quietly before God in private prayer. That's why it's said in Psalm 46 verse 10, God says to us, be still and know that I'm God. We are a very, very busy people. Busy chasing our own tails sometimes. But we are called to rest. We are called to meditate on God's word. We are called to ponder. We are called to reflect on God's word. Even a small chapter during the day or even a verse during the day sometimes is sufficient if it goes deep into your soul. Because it's important. It's not just knowledge. It has to impart your own soul. It has to impart your own heart. The longest journey often is from the head to the heart. That's the longest journey for a lot of people. A lot of head knowledge, but has not penetrated their soul, has not penetrated their heart. So a few verses that you have, you don't need to be a theologian or have a doctorate in theology or anything like that. How fervent is your faith? How committed are to the few verses that you have known? The few truths that you are building your life on? You know, 
So even faith takes all the conditions of God and says, I'm going to follow him no matter what happens. Even faith takes all the conditions of God and says, I'm going to follow him no matter what happens. Even, even if faith says, the person I'm praying for does not get healed, I will still follow God. How many times we have prayed for people and they don't get healed, but you still trust God and you still follow him. Even if something tragic happens in my life, I will follow him. Even if something tragic happens, I will follow him. Romans 8, 35 to 39 has been a great encouragement in my own personal life. When I feel that my faith is shaky and I'm in a place of doubt, I base my faith on the God-inspired words of the Apostle Paul when he makes this statement in Romans 8, 35 to 39. I come back to this many times. This is it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Even as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, and the foundation of our faith is God's love. Faith is the channel through which our salvation is achieved. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Without faith, you can't please God. Without faith, even you haven't received anything, because God's grace is there. But we accept God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So faith is the corridor of life. We walk through the corridor of life constantly thinking about this faith that we have in Jesus Christ. It's the foundational truth. It's a foundational doctrine of Christianity. I'd like to tell you a story that happened in May 11, 2012 in America. A young Christian girl named Hannah Lewis and four young men in their 20s were in an eight-seater twin-engine Cessna en route to a Christian conference when their plane went down. Three of the young men died instantly, and the fourth young man, after pulling the young girl from the flames, also perished. The young girl's father, Ron Lewis, was the pastor of the five young people and had to perform the funeral service for each of these young men, knowing that the only life that was spared was that of his daughter. This pastor had to deal with answering the parents' why questions and at the same time thank God for his own daughter's survival. What a predicament this man was put into. To keep his own faith and the faith of his church buoyant, he had to exercise unconditional faith. Even if we don't understand what happens to us, we need to develop a resilience that says, we will follow you, God. To various degrees, each of us will hit rough patches in our life. Each of us will hit rough patches in our life. There are joyful times in, in Christianity. There are sorrowful times in Christianity. And both will occur. And that's something we need to be aware of. So this is where the two sides of the same coin must become operative. We stand on the promises of God on the one hand. And on the other hand, we relinquish control to God, the Father, and exercise unconditional faith because God knows best. We must focus on the character of God, which is good all the time. So even if faith says, even if there are circumstances I don't enjoy, 
I'm going to follow Christ. Even if the person who led me to Christ turns away from Christ, I will follow him. Even if the loved one I'm praying for doesn't get healed, I'm still going to follow Christ. Even if I never receive another answered prayer for the rest of my life, I will follow God, who has already answered so many of my prayers. Unconditional faith is the only kind of faith that bears up under tough times. I'll say it again. Unconditional faith is the only kind of faith that bears up under tough times. It is strong because it's based on three essentials on which faith must be based on. And now I come to the three absolute foundations which must gird our faith. The first foundation is a knowledge of what can be known about God through his word. We must read God's word to know who God is. You know, you cannot know God if you don't read his word and meditate and reflect on his word. And if you're struggling, that's what your leaders are here for. That's what your fellow brothers and sisters are here for. That's what home care groups are here for. No one understands in totality God's word. But together we can have a greater light presented to us. Your word, is a, your word God, is a lamp unto my feet. So if we want to walk in God's ways, we must know his word. A knowledge of what can be known about God through his word. But it's not good enough just to remain in the knowledge of God. Okay, It's not good enough to remain in the knowledge of God. Because we can all have knowledge. It says in the Bible, knowledge puffs up. right? So just remaining in knowledge is not good enough. We must have an agreement with this knowledge of God. The other word is assent. And someone, some bright young kid said, you mean knowledge is only worth assent? No, that's not what it says. It's assent. A-S-S-C-E-N-T. We, I use the word agreement rather than assent, but it's the same thing. We must have an agreement with God's word. It's all right to know God's word, but are you in agreement with his word? Are you committed to his word? That's another foundation pillar to understand faith. And the third foundation pillar is we must have a complete trust in God which is reflected in our actions and our behavior. We can, we can have the knowledge, we can have the agreement, but when it comes to trusting God, we move back, right? We, we walk away. You know, it takes a lot of courage to trust God. You know, people have done amazing things in trusting God. You know, I stand on the shoulders of an American missionary who was the first American missionary to a country where I grew up in called Burma. And he was Adonorin Judson. Janet is reading the story of his wife. It's an amazing story. In 1832, he went there. He translated his entire Bible into the Burmese language. The, Mer- the American Independence War had just finished. So the, the British never trusted him because they were having a colonial war with the Burmese kings. The Burmese kings never trusted him because they thought he was British. So he was between the two. He was an American. Both sides never trusted this man. He was America's first missionary anywhere in the world. If you go to New York, there's Judson Chapel. If you go to Boston, there's Adenorin Judson's museum there. Now, this man, three wives died in Burma. The first wife was an amazing lady, Anne Judson, Anna Judson. And all three wives died in Burma. 37 years later, he was ill. He only went back to the States twice. And when he, when he was, went back to the States, he died off the coast of what's now called Sri Lanka, Colombo, and was buried at sea. There even is in the grave to mark where he died. But because of that, because of that, missionaries followed. My granduncle followed him, right? And the first Emmanuel Baptist Church in Burma, the founders is my granduncle, Charles Pascal, right? 
I know what missionary service is. I know what the, the sacrifice people are put into being a Christian. These people had knowledge, they had agreement, and they had trust. So they walked out a knowledge, agreement, and trust. Can we walk out in a knowledge and agreement trust in the streets of Shepparton? Right? Can we? I sometimes shudder. I sometimes worry. I sometimes think. Can we do this? Right? There's so many saints in the world who have given up their life. They're doing so right now in persecuted countries around the world. I'm not part of a missions team for the fun and games of it. I'm part of the missions team to support people. I'm not part of a missions team just to have my name on a committee. I really believe in missions, local missions and overseas missions. If I wasn't convicted by my stance on missions, I would join Rotary. I would join Lions. It's far better because I've been to Rotary and Lions and they have a great time around the bar, enjoying themselves, right? Most of the time talking rubbish or business. But we have a greater cause. We have a greater cause. We should be enthused. We should be encouraged. We should be committed. We should be studying God's word. We must be in agreement with God's word. And then we must step out in trust. These three young Hebrew men had all three essentials of godly faith. First, they had knowledge. They knew that they must not bow down to false gods. How did they know this? Because it was in God. They knew the Ten Commandments. Right? That's in the Ten Commandments. You must not, I am the God, your God. There are no other gods before me. They knew that. They accepted that knowledge of who God was. Not only did they know that, they gave total agreement to their knowledge of God and his requirements. You must not bow down to false gods. Their trust was based on the knowledge and agreement. They followed that with trust. Their trust was based on the knowledge and agreement which was in place before their ordeal. And the outcome of their predicament was in God's hands. So they trusted God that even though they walked through the fires, even though they walked through this flame, they trusted God. So I return to my initial question. Am I a man or a woman of faith? Are you a man or a woman of faith? I ask this question of myself. Is my faith based on the knowledge, agreement and trust in God's word? Or is my faith based on a nebulous, vague, confused understanding of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit? I hope none of us today will go away and base our faith on a nebulous, vague, confused understanding who the Father, the Son or the Holy Spirit is. Our faith must be based on the knowledge that Jesus loves us. We know that he came and gave his life for us. We know that he rose again. We know that he's coming back and we know that we will be with him forever. We are not just called to know, but we are called to live in agreement and trust in these precious truths. We know all of this, but are we really convicted in our knowing that we will agree and we will trust Jesus? We are living in a time of rapid social, economic and cultural change. A lot of these changes are anti-Christian. However, we must not succumb to fear, anxiety and worry, but our confidence and focus in tough times must be on the knowledge of the goodness of God and leave the rest in his hands. This is not a form of pacifism, but of living together in Christian community, genuinely loving God and one another. In an unsettled world, genuine followers of Christ can and will be the only answer to a lost and sinful world. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you sit here today and you don't know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm sure the elders of the church 
including the pastor, including all other members of this church, including myself, will share what it means to follow Jesus Christ and to know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd like to end by, a cup, a cup, uh, by an Australian poet. This, an Australian poet called Adam Lindsay Gordon said this, Life is mostly froth and bubble. Two things stand like stone. Kindness in another's troubles, courage in your own. That's what Lindsay, Adam Lindsay Gordon said. I'd like to change his poem a little bit. I'd like to change it to this. Life is mostly fraught and bubble. Three things stand like stone. Kindness in another's troubles. Kindness in another's troubles. Faith and courage in Jesus Christ in our own troubles. Because Lindsay Gordon got it half right. But I don't think he got it entirely right. So life is mostly fraught and bubble. Three things stand like stone. Kindness in another's troubles. Faith and courage in Jesus Christ in our own troubles. So let us pray. Thank you. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, as we enter a period of great worldwide turbulence and uncertainty, may we not be scattered by the winds of adversity, but may our faith and trust in you become stronger through the help of the Holy Spirit who resides in us and guides us and comforts us through your precious word. May we not be just hearers of your word, but in obedience be doers of your word. Strengthen our faith in you, Lord Jesus, so that we may be able to stand with our eyes firmly fixed on you. I pray this prayer for myself and for my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Lord, we glorify you through your precious word. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us these words that are your words. And may we live by it. May we have knowledge of it. May we agree that these words are precious. And may we trust you. And may our trust be put to action. In Jesus' name I pray this prayer. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 